maybe you just need to associate rain sounds with like you know like like pavlov yourself like have like hot chocolate ready to go or something and so every time it rains you just like drink hot chocolate and watch an episode of avatar or something like that i could do that Uh, i don't know it's fine it's just life (laughs) i don't need to enjoy something other people enjoy no i i get it but it's not just like man everybody loves the matrix and i don't love the matrix it's like (laughs) a, a thing that's a little bit inescapable so Yes. Mm, I don't have any good follow up. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to episode 194 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey, Chris, you you nailed that episode number. I didn't see it in the notes. You just. Oh, I've got it. Fl- flicked my eyes up to see the name of the doc to double check. So. Oh, clever. There. I see. I'll, I'll put it in just just so we have it. There we go. Perfect. There we go. OK, now it's official. Yeah, this is episode one hundred and ninety four, which is we're creeping ever closer to episode two hundred. And I haven't done prep work for a big episode 200 blowout that's at the back of my head i gotta figure out exactly what we're doing and and get the materials together for that we have a month and a half is that what it adds up to yeah but it always like creeps up way faster than you would think yeah okay i'll I'll keep something in mind too (laughs) so today we're going to talk about modern mostly because we haven't talked about modern in a while. It is the beginning of the qualifying season for the Manitators Modern Tournament. So we thought we'd catch up on that a little bit. Some stuff has changed. Some stuff is the same. We've Sign- got Clever Lu- clever Lumamancer now in in some prowess decks, but not all. Uh, so so that's a thing. But, th- like you know, modern, there's always plenty going on. And it's- probably going to take a minute first to just check in a little bit on historic as we have been doing lately because that's what I've been playing. So the the daily, how are the legacy legal and above cards doing us in our standard format? (laughs) It is really fun casting brainstorm with like a bunch of like kind of medium cards in your deck. You know, I I just love the concept and execution of memory lapsing something that attacking with soaring thought thief. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. (laughs) Like, like, yes, obviously, like, that's a very good combo because it's like this turns it into counterspell, but it is also sweet that there are, like, these gaps in power level between some of the cards in your deck. Like, the fact that I am brainstorming and then a turn later I'm casting Unburial Rites is, it's nice. I love it. It's just your classic, you know, legacy people want it banned in some contingents, some radical contingents. Who aren't, you know, with the tenets of Legacy's core format. And then on the other end, just like a standard power level card. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Brainstorm's power level is heavily influenced by the cards around it. Fetch lands, especially. Yes. I almost entirely fetch lands, but also like, you know, various other constraints of legacy that make it really good, including the fact that like you're heavily incentivized to play 30 blue cards in your deck, etc. etc. And the more one mana or cheaper cards you can do. Cantrips are just way more powerful the more cheap spells you have. 
So yeah. that's also a factor in legacy. But I mean, yeah. the card's still fantastic and historic, as is I've been, a lot of the other cards they added. It's been a four of in basically every single deck that I've put together in the format. So I I was listening to the Invasion Resleevables podcast, and or maybe it was Plane Shifts, whatever, one of those. Mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me that like, oh yeah, Invasion is like the time I think of is like the shift towards Magic being like a more balanced game. Mm-hmm. but you have to remember that masks still had dark ritual and brainstorm in it so. i know <laughs> so powered like... down set yeah <laughs> i mean there just wasn't really and, and counterspell too mm-hmm. like you know certain things it took a little while for like rnd and and honestly like the populace at large to as well like obviously like dark rituals all play but it was like putting out five fives and the, stuff for a long time. Dark ritual was like, all right, turn two, make a big creature. You're up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like, Oh man, dark ritual. So good. Yeah. It got hypnotic specter banned in early magic formats. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Which card's the problem card here? Well, yeah, <laughs> that is weird. Early banning is just like, all right, we got to ban Cardi, but it's just too strong. We got a ban juggernaut. juggernaut. It's too like, good. It's a five three. It's so big. They just systematically banned all the creatures until it felt like you were playing like modern popper, which right. is like your spells are super duper powerful, and then you attack your opponent for like two. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty wild. Like it is really difficult for me to picture a time period where it was like, oh man, these curd apes and juggernauts are. Like, Lightning Bolt was legal in those formats. Like, what are you talking about? Like, is that... Are your Lightning Bolts too overtaxed because they have Curdeep and Juggernaut? Yeah, I... Like, this is obviously an era of magic where my understanding and experience is lacking. But it is very difficult for me to believe that any of the problems in those formats couldn't have been solved with just, like, a little bit more careful deck building. If those problems were Curd Ape and Juggernaut, there are probably other problems with those formats that are more difficult to handle. Uh, Fisher's Workshop and yes, etc. etc. Right. But as for you know, mostly current day magic, I continue to have fun with Historic. I it's just a pretty good format now, like against all odds whatsoever. Well, I think that's mostly because doing powerful stuff is really fun. Mm-hmm. And there's not a single one deck that's just doing everything better than everything else, mm-hmm. which is kind of what Historic felt like in various points throughout its yeah. history. <laughs> right. Where it's just like, why do I want to play Historic? I'm going to play against Red Black Arcanist so many times, or Jen Sacrifice so many times, or Goblins when it first came out. And it just felt like you're slogging. But now, if you didn't want to play that exact deck. But now, if you play, like, you sleeve up your Phoenix deck and you play against a random Time Warp deck, both players are doing what they want to do, even if one is not better than the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and crucially, both because of, you know, Jumpstart, or however they got Thought Season in the format, I don't even remember at this point. Omnicat Remastered. Uh, right. <laughs> complete nonsense sure sure 
Yeah, both because of Thoughtseize being in the format and also the powerful disruption that got introduced alongside the powerful proactive stuff in the Mystical Archive, like, there is a decent balance between powerful proactive stuff and the answers. So we've got Inquisition, we've got Thoughtseize, we've got Memory Lapse, we've got Lightning Helix. So whether you want to play an offensive or a defensive game, and that can be I'm trying to do combo-y stuff or I'm trying to do creature green and red creatures like there are ways to answer the proactive stuff or you can just be doing really proactive stuff and they kind of mostly match up on on power level i like yeah i think that was actually really clever from wizards i i know i didn't like preemptively banning cards just off the bat from the archives except for maybe like channel or whatever but i actually do enjoy that they made the balance pretty similar because plow and counterspell would have just shifted that so far <laughs> into right. the not fun zone. I, I I definitely don't love that they just started out with the bands, but I'm like really confident that in order to make a fun historic format, they would have had to ban swords and counterspell. Like definitely. Yeah. Like, can you imagine Dreadhorde Arcanist flashing back swords to plowshares? I mean no, it feels so counter to what I see those two cards doing, but <laughs> I can definitely see my cards getting plowed over and over again. Well, I think I think in a format with cards like Swords and Counterspell in it, you would be incentivized to keep your threats as mana light as possible. So it would not it would really strongly incentivize you to like not play any permanent that costs more than two mana, basically. Yeah, that. Not great format uh, checks. Yeah. Whereas now, you are really incentivized to be doing pretty streamlined stuff. But there's a lot of resource trading that goes on. A lot of different mana costs for things. Like, you can play Crackling Drake in this format and use that as a way to buy yourself a powerful threat and some card advantage. Like, you know, you're not super limited. There's a lot of Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and... It feels almost like a fair card in this format. Like you have to take some risks when you're putting it out there and stuff. You might just die. Like it, it's I I don't mind playing against the Teferi decks. I yeah I, I like Teferi. I I know when Teferi was legal and standard, it was just so so powerful. Yeah, but after it like rotated from standard all the formats have seen play in it's like a good card on the battlefield it's really good on the battlefield mm -hmm. but it also just feels like there are enough hoops and it's fair enough that it's it deserves its spot it's like give and take in the for in the formats it's legal in it, it's not just like play it take over the game yeah i mean it's a five mana sorcery speed spell that's also blue which is a liability for five mana sorceries nowadays um, yeah like there's risks there for sure and we all know well enough when we're beaten by a Teferi to scoop. So most of the games don't just like drag on. I'll, I'll scoop to a Teferi pretty quickly. Yeah. I Arena changes people because a lot of people just do not concede when they're deterministically dead. Mm. It's kind of tilting because it feels like wasting a time a lot of the time. But... I guess, like, the clock system that Arena uses kind of promotes that, so whatever. This is one of the reasons, not really, like, it's, the main reason is actually just because I love the card 
Niv Mizzet, but this is, this is kind of one of the reasons that I have been really working on a Niv Mizzet Perun deck for the format. Um, the main reason is just that kind of like most answers don't answer it, and it also checks every board that I have seen so far in this format. So I have put together, and I'll, I'll post the list in the Discord where I'm at right now, but I've been working on like an Unburial Rights Niv Mizzet deck that is enabled by some of the like gnarly filtering cards that we have in the format. Brainstorm, Faithless Looting, and Prismari Command is actually just a gigantic enabler for nonsense in general and really good in this deck. But basically like your game ones, you're just trying to turbo out a turbo out a Niv Mizzet as quickly as possible, and that's actually pretty good at beating the Gruel decks and stuff. And then Do you, do you get it fast enough to beat up Gruel decks? I know like once it's on the board, Niv is on a state level. But... Yeah. You have to get a little bit lucky, and I've gone I've added a fifth threat to Unburial Rights. I've added a Dream Trawler to the deck as well. God, because... I love the mana costs in this deck. But you don't even cast them game one, so it's fine. <laughs> And and the lands are so good. And also Prismari Command makes a treasure that makes any color, which is the secret key to casting your spells. But basically, like, Gruul has been a fine matchup because my deck also just has four Lightning Helixes and three, three Mana Sweepers in it. So you buy yourself some time. I, you know, in an ideal world, you Unburial Rites on turn four with a treasure up to cast Brainstorm, which is just four damage divided as you choose. <laughs> yes. But even if you don't do that, Helix into filter a little bit, into wrath their board, into put a Niv Mizzet in play, like wins a lot of that type of game pretty, pretty handily. And then you do actually have to do some pretty clever stuff to beat the Jeskai decks, which are the main control decks in the format, because they usually have like a commit. And so you need to make sure to like not get you, you don't want to have to fight over your Niv Mizzet while it's on the stack is is a really big key. And then, like, post-board, they might have a couple of Aether Gusts. So my board plan, you know, my sideboard started out with the the generic, like, a bunch of Mystical Disputes. But now my sideboard is just no Mystical Disputes and four Dovin's Vetoes because... You're not messing around. Yeah. And, and you, you play these really long games, so you don't want to, like, let them pay three mana to counter your counterspell. And Dovin's Veto is really good at stopping threats, but it's not very good at... It's not particularly better than Negate at forcing threats through unless your threat is uncounterable and they have a very small number of things that stop it. So if they ether gust your Niv Mizzet, they can have like 10 more counter spells in hand, but if they're not also ether gusts, then your Dovin's Veto forces your Niv Mizzet onto the battlefield. And that has been really, really good. So I don't know that this deck is like a breaker or anything, but I have had some good results with it and I'm continuing to work on it. The main lesson that I think is important to take from the deck is that Niv Mizzet is just really, really good. Like getting it into play somehow, basically nobody ever beats it, and very few of the removal spells in the format can even kill it if you don't have protection up. I'm trying to figure out what actually kills it in the format. Right. I'm going through a list and I can't a mental list and I just can't think of kicked, one. Kicked Blood Chief's Thirst. Okay, is. yeah. So, you know, you have to be careful if there's one in their graveyard and they have an Arcanist that you haven't killed is like a scenario you need to like be aware of and stuff. But Apparition doesn't do it. Fatal Push doesn't do it. Noth like, like no Phoenix deck can beat an in-play Niv-Mizzet. Yeah, never. 
But it did that in standard enough, actually. Right. Uh, Teferi can come down and tuck it, but that's like a thing you're very aware of against the Teferi decks, and you always make sure to have stuff up so you can at least like murder the Teferi and draw some cards on the way out. So, so I don't know. the The deck is pretty good, and I think that like the takeaway being that Niv Mizzet is just so strong. I have been playing against some amounts of these other decks that cheat giant dragons into play and they're like the Velomachus Lorehold decks and they have time warp and I'm wondering if they shouldn't actually just be built to to transmogrify into Niv-Mizzet and that might just be better because I think you win almost exactly the same number of games when you get a Niv-Mizzet onto the battlefield as a Velomachus Lorehold and then you don't have to put stuff like that four mana you know bring an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand make a token like you can just play good cards in your other slots yeah, Velomarchus Lorehold also feels really bad when you whiff. Really, mm -hmm. really bad. And right. Niv-Mizzet just doesn't have that kind of variance. And drawing Niv-Mizzet is much better than drawing Velomarchus Lorehold because he doesn't get countered. Yeah, true. So, I don't know. That That's my big takeaway from this week of playing Historic is I think Niv-Mizzet is underplayed in the format. And I would encourage people to explore avenues of getting Niv-Mizzet in play. As far as other things going on in the format, I, I was pretty surprised to see. I'm now looking at the MTG data like matchup matrix. I was pretty surprised to see Simic Stompy as a deck on the matrix. Yeah. Because I've just literally never, I haven't played against that deck a single time in all of my time on ladder. I haven't seen anyone, people stream historic like quite a bit. I have not seen any Simic Stompy. Yeah. I mean, this is just mono green with four decisive denials in it basically and then you can have other blue cards in your sideboard so it's like a sound concept for a deck decisive denial being the charm that's like a fight and a negate yeah or, or a pay three unless you counter a creature spell right which with the pressure that the basically mono green stompy deck puts on like it's just negate also instant speed fights are nice yeah, and having an extra set of good instants in your collected company deck is nice too. So when you pass the turn, they're not just like they only have to think about collected company. Passing with four mana up. All right, here we go. <laughs> Classic collective company move. Right. And and you get to actually do some other stuff there. So I don't know. I haven't played this deck at all. It's probably just fine because, you know, how good is mono green stompy? generally i i think there's like an upper and lower bound to collected company steel leaf champion decks mm -hmm. that pretty much perennially places them in the yeah it's fine you can lose to it most of the time you won't yeah just kind of have to be aware of it i think gruel aggro is probably like mostly the place to be if you're going to beat down with green creatures it just is strong and consistent and has a lot of haste threats which i think is really important since the Jeskai decks, for example, do a lot of wrathing. Yeah, I'm I'm Team Gruel if I wanted to play a green creature deck. Like I can understand the appeal of like trying to force a, a big collected company with some resiliency. Because the Civic Snobby deck is it, it feels nice when you like have Ronus on the board, your old growth shield dies, you can make a, a token, you have mm -hmm. like some interaction, but at the end of the day, I think Gruel's just like more consistent. Yeah. And you have more explosive draws too, since you have Burning Tree Emissary. Yep. One thing that I did want to point out, mostly just to toot my own horn a little bit, because these win percentages don't actually 
like really mean anything, but is it Phoenix having a 58% win rate, the highest win rate in the field? Rakdos Arcanist having a 44.7% win rate, the lowest win rate in the field. You know, I feel like I mentioned both of these decks, both of these things happening, like both of our last two episodes. So I, I don't know. That feels good. Arcanist is just not a very good deck and people need to stop playing it. I'm much prouder of you for the Rakdos Arcanist call than I am the Phoenix call. Sure. Because like, come on, Phoenix is, Phoenix is bad is like a meme. That yes. I can't believe people fell for. And like we every just... Phoenix deck is just 60 good cards. Like, how could it be bad? It's 60 good cards that work great together. Like, come on. And pe people can build their decks really badly, and I, that's probably what caused people's opinions. But I, mm -hmm. I'll i give you credit for not being fooled a little bit on the Phoenix thing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, will you give me credit for speaking the truth when I know oh, yeah, that everyone sure. else is wrong? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. I mean, I was right there with you. <laughs> And a significantly less biased source of that. <laughs> yeah, true. That's pretty fair. But Rakdos Arcanist, also not that good. A lot of people, you know, I've seen like historic tier lists with Rakdos Arcanist in tier one. And I just, it was shocking to me to see that because I didn't, I, I thought that probably most people agreed with me that like Arcanist is not really that good. There's like a lot of rest in pieces in the format, which you literally just can't ever beat if it's in play. And even when that's not the case, you have Thoughtseize Dreadhorde Arcanist. And if you have that draw, your deck is probably fine. But it just has weird consistency problems. And when you mulligan, like the deck is pretty terrible. If you don't draw village rights, you're just too low on cards generally. And uh, the deck's just not that good. Can we take a moment to talk about the uh, Pact combo, the Thassa's Oracle deck? Hell yeah. Because this is a deck that during, like when we were going over the Mystical Archives and we are talking about Tainted Pack, this was the only deck I could see Tainted Pack even remotely going into. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying that you could just play like two Tainted Packs, three Tainted Packs, not play Lurus and have your deck be cohesive. Not and play that's... Lutri, right? Or Lutri, excuse me. Because these do play Lurus usually. Yeah, Lurus is good. I, I meant Lutri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got confused with the good companion, you know? Right, right. And that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, most of them are two Thassa's Oracle, two Tainted Pact lists, because the goal is to draw the combo, and as long as you draw one of each, then you don't have duplicates in your deck. Mm -hmm. So it works out really elegantly there. Some amount of tutoring and some amount of control elements you know, a lot of times you'll be playing against it, and except for, like, the the weird lands that they play, you wouldn't necessarily know that you're not just playing against, like, a blue-black control deck of some sort until, you know, they make it obvious by tutoring or something. And this is a deck that has... This sample has a 52% win rate, which I think is actually a little artificially deflated mm -hmm. because it has a huge problem with the deck. Which is that resolving Tainted Pack is impossible on Arena. Yeah. It can't be done. <laughs> so I think it works in this version specifically. You, you can only really do the Tainted Pact if you are trying to deck yourself with it at that time. And it, it works that way because you right. you cast the Thoughts Oracle, trigger on the stack, cast Tainted Pact, and it's just time out you win the game. Right. But if you are trying to like 
do the Lutri version where you cast Tainted Pact and copy it. And the first one just gets you your Thassa's Oracle. And then the second one leaves one card in your library so you can draw it for, you know, if you were trying to do it that way, you literally just can't do it with the arena interface. And if you ever need to cast a Tainted Pact to find a card, that is also a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I really wish they would fix that. That is apparently not going to be fixed in time for the league weekend, which is in 11 days now. So kind of disappointing that they wouldn't have that fixed by then. But probably the worst thing that they are not fixing, all of the cards that flip, that have a mana cost on one side and no mana cost on the other side, Arena is currently bugged, so it counts the pips. So if you flip a search for Azkanta into Azkanta the Sunken Ruin, Arena counts you as having plus one blue devotion from it. So that's a bug, not a critical bug. To it, clarify it, because you phrased your thing kind of weird, it affects the Ixalan Rivals of Ixalan cards specifically. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter any of the Zendikar double-faced cards that are lands on one side and spells on the other. They still don't count for devotion. Okay. It's just the Ixalan and Rival Swap cards. Right. So their solution to that, since they won't be they won't have that fixed eleven days from now, uh their solution to that is to ban them from League Weekend. So I mean we've got a flowchart here, right? And we've got like some points of where where things diverge. So like step one is can you fix it in time? And it's like Pretty disappointing that they can't fix it in time. But assuming that it's just impossible, you can't fix it in time, then you have another decision point, which is, okay, what do we do here? We can either let players play with these cards and just whatever happens, happens, or we can ban them. And they have chosen to ban them, which is like a decision about tournament integrity that I think like misses out on understanding like what is actually worth protecting here like like in exchange for okay the rules of the cards that do get played are going to accurately reflect the rules of the cards in paper magic they have thrown out okay this format and the decks in it match the decks that people play in historic and i think that's a bigger loss yeah it's also kind of just irrelevant like this bug barely matters the like the most playable of the suspended cards the flip cards are like legions landing and search Canta, right those are the only two you can remotely think about playing uh, and throwing rights throwing rights yeah in the elf stack yeah yeah and which doesn't even use a devotion card ever right, right. so we can dismiss that because you're never going to come across the devotion synergy if you're never playing a devotion card <laughs> right <laughs> uh legions landing can play heliod like in any deck you want to do that in but no decks are doing that so mm-hmm. you can cross that all off Search for Iskanta is a card multiple decks play. Of the decks that play it, one plays Thassa's Oracle, which only matters if you have exactly three cards in your library and only those two permanents in play. Yeah, not very likely since that deck is built around emptying its entire deck, and the only way that it can get a deck low enough to use Thassa's Oracle is to tainted packed away its entire deck. Yep. So we can basically say this bug never matters. Yeah. Maybe it matters in 0.0001% of games. And we're just changing the format 
because it might come up. Right. There's a chance that maybe somebody registers Heliod Legion's Landing and it comes up once or twice in the tournament. There's a chance of that happening. But the decision they have made guarantees that the format is different than the one that we play. Also, like, those players can't do any testing on the ladder. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Not that ladder testing is, like, super fantastic or anything for actually preparing for tournaments anyways, but, like, it's just a different format. And and Search for Kenta is, like, a pretty reasonably important card in this format. Yeah, it's very good. And these these cards just aren't being suspended in actuality. They're only being suspended for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Like, you can play these cards. That's what Chris was saying. You can't test. You can still play the cards forever until they fix the bug. They're never yeah. suspending them. And I mean, that's the right solution for this. Like, they're, like if they had banned it so we couldn't play with Search for Us Kanta and stuff until they fixed it, like, I would be kind of incensed right now because, <laughs> like, they just have us playing a fake format until they manage to fix it. Like, that sucks. But it also sucks to watch the League players play a fake format, a format that I've been enjoying and am really invested in, and then I don't get to watch the League players play it. It also is kind of weird to me that they've, picked out this mostly insignificant bug and kind of ignored any other bug that could come up is like not important enough because they know about this one. And it's like, what about, you know, the fact that game restarts still happen in your tournament client? Like, right. Are we going to fix that? Well, no ban stops that from happening. So yeah. And they have to actually fix their code card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what they've done. So, I mean, that, I think that's a pretty, like, short-sighted response to this that just, you know, misses the forest for the trees and doesn't really understand what they're trying to protect by doing it. Which is, you know, organized play in a nutshell. Yeah, kind of, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really does, it, it is a little deflating. Like, it takes the window of my sails when I, like, I, I do like this historic format a lot. And I do want to watch the League Weekend where they play it for the first time. But now I don't. I I still will watch it because I, I think Historic is actually pretty fun to watch at the moment. Mm-hmm. I hope that it doesn't have the kind of gloomy rain clouds I alluded to in the last League Weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going to be like utterly transformative to the format to not have Search for Escanta. Like a bunch of the decks will still be basically the same when there are certain matchups where, like, Search for Kanto was how the Jeskai deck outground this deck and this, you know, it's going to be kind of disappointing that you just don't have the the real options. But most of the decks are still there, and are, it, like, it'll still be fine. Like, I, I probably am overreacting, but... Yeah, I think it doesn't change the viewing perspective that much, especially since they'll just never mention that it happened. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's that going for it. I do appreciate, like, Nassif pointing out, I think that Watsi has just saved me from myself by not allowing me to play Search for Azkanta in this <laughs> league weekend. That That is pretty funny, yeah. Well, should we talk about Modern? Yeah, let's do it. Is, is Green White Heliod still just the best deck? Yeah, I think pretty clearly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think it would be kind of insane to argue otherwise. But that's not that doesn't mean it's like 
hogak of the format or anything. A- absolutely not. No way. Like there is a huge gulf between hogak being the best deck of its format and Greenlight Heliod being the best deck of its format. There, there's also so much more competitive scene amongst all the decks going on now. For sure. The you know, at the end of the day, like Helia Company is very good. But it is a creature combo deck. Its primary creature combo is to gain infinite life. It has a lot of tools to like keep itself from dying and keep its combo from being super disrupted. Skyclave Apparition, number one amongst them. Uh, it's really nicely positioned because like Oriok Champion is one of its two drops that help the secondary Walking Ballista combo happen more easily and also just works with other cards. Like, Oriak Champion is really, really good against what's probably the second best deck in the format, the Prowess decks, like, mm-hmm. really helps that sort of matchup. Uh, you know, Helia Company is great, but it is a creature combo deck. Its primary combo is gaining infinite life, which literally, like, there are decks that don't care about that. A, a reasonable number of them. Including uh, Mill. Including Mill, which is fine. Like, is you can play it. You can spike, like... I, Absolutely. I think it's more than a you can spike deck at this point. I mean, it kind of is because it never can't be more than that. Right. But because Mill is good, you see so many random Gaia's Blessing type effects in sideboards of decks that can afford it. Like, Amda always plays a Kozilek or Emrakul now. Always. Yeah. Can't get, can't get milled out. <laughs> Side note to the Amulet example specifically. In my opinion, it should always be Emrakul because Kozlek's garbage and Emrakul you can cast in control matchups and just crush them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What are you going to do? Not reach 15 on turn 20 in your 38 land deck? <laughs> You're probably going to get there. A bunch of your lands make two mana too. Yeah. And that is not to say that like Modern is in a... You know, it, 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 two different sentences. One is Heliod is not a deck that's oppressing the format in the same way that other of Modern's best decks have have oppressed the format. But the other sentence of Modern is great right now, like that's a whole different thing composed of many other variables. And I don't know how great Modern necessarily is. I think like, you know, my evaluation of Modern is that it still is suffering from a lack of identity that happened with the Faithless Suiting Mox Opal ban. And it's just like kind of a shiftless format a little bit to me right now. I I guess I'll touch on this briefly because I think Modern's actually in a, like a finish place right now. It's like mm-hmm. a good format you can play. But I think Modern to me right now is in Modern Horizon 2 waiting room. Like, okay. The format's fine. It's playable. If I had to play it, you know, in a tournament, I could pick up a deck that I would be reasonably comfortable with and enjoy playing in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. There's no deck that I'm like in love with. You know, I don't think the most decks kind of feel interchangeable <laughs> in a right. sense. Exactly. Yeah. And to me, it just feels like as soon as Modern Horizons Two comes out, if it's anything like the last one. The format just shifts dramatically, and most of these decks we're going to be seeing now get massively retooled or shifted out. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get invested when I feel like that kind of shift is coming. (laughs) 
Because I could play Green White Heliod, I could play Amulet, and I could enjoy playing those decks, but if I had to play like Paper, I wouldn't buy Green White Heliod. Sure. Well, you could borrow it from me, you'd be fine. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I know what you mean. I also could just play Amulet, I've got it right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Modern Horizons previews start in like a month, right? Yeah, it comes out June 17th, I believe, which means yeah. that we should be getting previews. A couple of weeks, yeah. Maybe end of May. You know, not that long of a waiting room, I guess. But yeah, I, I mean, it it does just feel, and it's hard to really like explain exactly the feeling, but there's just sort of a rudderlessness to it. Like, yes, we have some definition to the format since like we know that Heliod is the best deck, and the is it or in the the prowess decks are are good too, and then, but. There's just some, like, that's not an eternal, you know, that's not like a format structure understanding. Yeah, it doesn't feel like legacy. Old Modern used to feel a lot like Mm -hmm. legacy and that you would have your archetypes that are there forever. Cards that just divide the format. And those mostly got banned. Whereas legacy. And and not, not even just archetypes that are there for forever, but like archetypes that like go in and out that like come back like affinity might come back after two years of like there was no reason to play this deck and then all of a sudden like there's no electrolyzes like play your vault scourges a random suspend combo deck comes back Mm -hmm. i mean those kind of still do but without looting they're yeah a little anemic (laughs) yeah so that like underlying structural definition just isn't quite there like a lot of these decks some key hate pieces get printed for Heliod Company or some like key matchups get really bad for whatever reason. And like it's a type of deck that could just kind of disappear and never really be the thing again or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a pioneer when the format was starting out. Mm-hmm. You'd play decks, they'd get banned, and then those decks don't exist anymore. Like they're, yeah. you just, they're never coming back. <laughs> right. And, and now, you're, like, now you're playing Pioneer, waiting for the next big thing to come out. And because, you know, Pioneer started in the beginning of Thronville Trade, and that was, you know, every every set release. <laughs> <laughs> and now, what in the world is going to be able to keep up with, like, the stuff that got piled into there? Like, if we're, tr- if we're trying to change it with just standard sets, like, I mean, stuff happens. You know, Pioneer is going to shift over time for sure, but there, there's <laughs> definitely a, a base of power that exists there. Yeah, modern feels pioneerish to me in that regard. It's mm-hmm. just playing with the cards that we've got, like all the formats, but we're really waiting for. I've got my eye modern crisis too. We're yeah, we're not changing things up. We're not getting crazy, right? Yeah. So Heliod Company is good. It is doing a pretty good job of squeezing down on what is probably the second best like broad archetype, which are the prowess decks. And when you say broad, you mean very broad. You can play these decks so many different ways. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways. I think the main two builds right now are the like all one drops red white version that mm-hmm. have clever Lumancer and like two uh Dreadheart Arcanists or something like that. And then there's the Is It Blitz version that is kind of the deck that we've come to know and love. But most of the lists have replaced Light Up the Stage with Expressive Iteration now. This is the blue-red sorcery 
that you look at the top three, you can play one of the cards this turn, put one in your hand, and one gets put back in your library. Which is the, the classical card that Magic Twitter started discussing, where, you know, it's a new card, so the person who wins with it thinks it's incredibly good. Yeah. The person who's watching just says it's not, it doesn't compare. Yeah. They're, they're, right, there, there was like a a pair of tweets yesterday that appeared on the timeline like right next to each other for some people, which was like Doomwake saying expressive iteration is like broken play for always. And then somebody else, I like some, some, some pro, right? Somebody I, good. Yeah. I don't remember. Somebody good who had played with it and was just like, never play expressive iteration. This card is terrible. And I fall on the, that card's really good side of camps, mm-hmm. mostly because I've seen it been cast at like turn four or turn three in the prowess decks and you it's frequently like a draw two, like light of the stages but unlike light of the stage you look at three cards which you don't appreciate until you see someone casting it they just look at the top three and pick the best two and just cast them oh yeah it allows like one of the frustrating things about light up the stage in the prowess decks is like anything that's slightly situational or if like you know if you had to like lava dart your opponent and then cast uh light up the stage and then you only have like one mana left over that's a little bit awkward sometimes if you hit like you know a stormwing entity or something off of that and there's no selection there like you can cast it the next turn but you know you want to cast your stuff now it's a combination of selection and mana efficiency right Mm -hmm. because the ping you cast light up the stage is generally about two mana Unless you're sacrificing a mountain, but usually you're not. So, so that's about two mana, the same as expressive iteration. You don't get the selection aspect, but it's only one color, so whatever, we'll, we'll cross it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is later in the game when you don't have that enabler. Yeah. And you just have it like on turn five, turn six, whatever, when you only have, you know, three lands, four lands in play. Even if you hit a land off light at the stage, your deck uses mana so well because you're all one mana spells for the most part that every point of mana really matters and in that kind of scenario expressive iteration is much better than light of the stage because it's more efficient and it gives you the card selection on top of it right and i mean there are certainly games where light would be better because it costs one mana and when it's doing the right thing like it's very very efficient at what it does (laughs) but you know expressive iteration just kind of like the the base case is better and then the ceiling doesn't lower by that much. And in some situations, like, it's just a way better card. The ceiling is, is hot. You know, you're looking three deep. Like, I need to find a bolt. This gets me three cards towards a bolt. Or if you can't afford to hit a land, or you really need a land, mm-hmm. either one, you have so much more options with Express Federation. Yeah, I've been really, really happy with it in Historic. The turn four is, like, such a perfect time to cast it. You You cast it. You hit your land, exile that, you hit the counter spell that you want to hold up, you put it in your hand, or whatever, or you had the counter spell. But hitting the land and then passing with your your Dovin's Veto up is just a really satisfying sequence. You've gone up a card and you were it gave you card selection and yeah. Card is nice. Mm-hmm. So I am I am pro Express Federation. I like that version a lot more than the uh the clever Lumomancer one. Mm-hmm. which I don't think is bad per se, but I have certainly seen some bad versions. Uh, I remember one with <laughs> Leonin Lightscribe, which is, an, I think it's called Leonin Lightscribe. Yeah, I, you can't play that in modern. Like, <laughs> There's no way. There's just no way. 
Yeah, and, and maybe the versions get roughed out. I know uh, Red White one made third in one of these modern challenges uh, the past weekend. Uh, but notably, it was the only one in the entire uh, top 32. Mm-hmm. So it's not really taking the prowess world by storm. Right. It, it, it's defensible. It plays like Luris is the really big pickup. Yes. Of playing this this type of prowess deck. But at some point, Luris kind of feels at odds with clever Lumomancer in the first mm-hmm. place. Like if you're playing more one drops, you're trying to get the game over with. And Luris does give you like, it covers its weakness, right? Where you get to play a more grindy game with Mistress Bobble and Luris later in mm-hmm. the game while you're doing that. The problem is then when you're playing that grindy game and you draw a clever Lumomancer, it's just not very good. Yeah. It doesn't even get pumped by your Mishra's Bobbles. No. <laughs> so it, I, 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 I kind of poo-pooing on this deck. It's just because I like it less than the other one. I don't think it's a bad deck. I still think your good draws are really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the final straw for this version, though, right now, is that it's so clearly worse against Heliod. Mm-hmm. With, without the Flyers... You know, you're just not attacking through their their nonsense on the ground as easily. But I will say it does fear un, feel unfair when you play the Prowess Mirror and they they just bo- get to board in Core Firewalker. That's true, but you also have a one mana O one in your deck against the other Lightning Dart de- against the other Lava Dart deck. So kind of a wash, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I imagine this gets sideboarded out. <laughs> sure, but like game one, like. You're just, like, so bummed to play a clever Lumomancer. Yes. <laughs> Although, you know, I was listening to Dom and Ari's podcast the other day, and, and Ari made a really good point, which was, like, when you're playing against the Prowess deck, you can afford to play an X1 and get it Lava Darted. Like, when it gets really bad is when you are playing multiple X1s and you make their Lava Darts, like, really good. So, like, you can have Arbor Elf in your deck, but it's nice to avoid having Arbor Elf and Birds of Paradise because if you draw two and they draw one Lava Dart, that ends really badly for you. So, you know, this is a deck with only the one four of X1 in it, so that's not necessarily a, a breaker for that matchup. Okay, I can see that. Um, and, and certainly Core Firewalker is a nice one. Yeah, it's... I mean, we just talked about how good it was in the Heliod deck because it's good against Prowess, and it is... Certainly still do that. Well, it's Oriac Champion in the Heliod deck. But... Oh, what did I say? Well, because it's Core Firewalker in this deck. Oh, yeah, 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 but... Same concept. Same kind of card, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that I just want to point out, since I'm noticing it looking at this sideboard here of this this PTQ top 8 deck, you know, three Tormod's Crypts in the sideboard of this White-Red Prowess deck... Basically every single deck that I've seen finish in any position in any of these tournaments, you know, looking at two challenges and the PTQ, has some amount of graveyard hate in their sideboard. The only one that doesn't is the amulet deck, which has as many bajuka bogs as it could as you could ever want. I I wanted to talk about dredge because it's so clearly gained because it has eight cathartic unions now. I don't think you can play it. Like, with these decks built the way they are, like, you're just gonna, like, yeah, of course you can beat a deck with three Tormod's Crypts in the sideboard, but can you top eight a tournament where every single one of your opponent has the Tormod's Crypts in their sideboard? Like, I don't think so. I know, it's rough, and actually, I think uh, a lot of people are still underestimating Dredge. Like, you mentioned Amulet Titan with the Pajuka Bog thing, 
I actually think Church is a pretty bad matchup now for Amulet because oh, yeah? they have so many cathartic reunions. Mm-hmm. If you're not respecting it a little bit with at least a Tormod script in your sideboard, at least to grab a Karn, which is a lot of what Amulet is playing right now, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you can just get kind of cheesed with such frequent regularity because they're playing eight cathartic reunions that you you can't just like bank on always having a Jukabug early. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But like one thing that Amulet does is also just like beats dredge on board mm-hmm. like even even if they like did a decent amount you know they they have to have a pretty explosive set of you're dredges. you're a little slower now too because you don't feel that anymore so you don't get to get the free like turn four titan have a bunch of bodies right you like have to have a dryad you have to have the bazooka bug you still have, to have the titan stuff and then like go from there so it's not a buy the way it yeah. used to feel like Right. I mean, I'd be interested in playing that matchup more. Like, it definitely used to be borderline unwinnable for Dredge. And I, I definitely can accept that it is no longer that. But, you know, if it's still like a 65 plus percent matchup, then that's... Oh, yeah. It's still good for Amulet. But it's not... I'm just kind of speaking to the power of Dredge here. that Because it's yeah. got so much consistently, decks that were once thought to be, you know, pretty much unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Now you've got people respecting it more you like kind of have to right right and and i think that generally everybody in these moto tournaments who is doing well they know what they're doing and they are putting graveyard hate in their deck and while that may not guarantee that you beat dredge collectively that ends up putting dredge in a pretty bad spot for a deck that you take to a tournament the classic moto league dredge where you you know you're three to a league with dredge and that's the that's the moto five though Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it's just hard to beat folks and no mox opal decks in the format which means that you never have to make that decision between playing your ancient grudges and playing your relics of progenitus like you just get to play the graveyard hate in those traditional like graveyard hate slash artifact hate flex slots yep you only have to pick one now thanks yep. wizards one thing that is kind of cool about the dredge deck is that Half of its cathartics now are like much better against things that would pick off the dredgers. You don't get to respond to the cards being put into the graveyard. So if you have a scavenging ooze in play or if you have a surgical extraction, you don't get to stop them from dredging. So that's like a little, you know, neat little pickup and something to watch out for when you're playing against dredge is, is to be aware that they can do that. But I think for right now, it's not super relevant. I think Dredge is pretty handily pushed out of being a, a powerful deck in the format. Yep. And that'll, you know, be the case for a couple of weeks. And then people will start trimming on their graveyard hate. And then Dredge will be back. If if they start trimming on their graveyard hate, it might just be the default thing to respect do now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A couple of alternate versions of the amulet decks right now. I think that people are going to play amulet the way that they choose to. There's not a lot of people picking up Amulet ever, yeah. uh, especially now that it's back to being hard to play. But there is an Elvish Reclaimer version that I think there's a level of resiliency there and that crucially does give you really early access to stuff like, you know, your your hate lands. If you if you really want to have as many Bajuka Bogs as possible, play an Elvish Reclaimer version of the deck. That, that's kind of neat. Yeah, I... I haven't played any with this or even seen it. Mostly that's because, like like you said, people playing Amulet just play 
the cards they want to all the yes. time. You can't stop them. Correct. It's impossible. <laughs> so this is just a way to utilize it. It borrows from the old Reclaimer decks with Field of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Like, you've still got Flagstone and stuff. Elodomre's Call is still in this, which honestly may seem like more of a holdover to me than an actually good card, but whatever. Yeah, it seems pretty anemic in this deck. Just like a terrible, terrible Summoner's Pact. Yeah, and it, it, it just kind of is playing all the other same cards. You could just have Elvish Reclaimer. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how grindy that actually makes you, though. Because, like, you can get your Titan a little more consistently. You have a really good turn one play instead of playing, like, Arboreal Grazer or Sacred Tribe Scout. But... Well, I I think that a main thing is that this doesn't die to Lava Dart. So it's a better one-drop for prowess fighting purposes. Yeah, I think most people are just playing four Grazers right now. I don't think Tribe Scout has done has seen any play for a little bit now sure sure and i, I like grazer i wish he had a uh like a full art version i would buy them <laughs> I, I know a lot of people the the amulet deck i've been most impressed by are the uh karn ones i, I think the karn actually gives you a lot of good game against mm-hmm. stuff your sideboard doesn't really matter in the more traditional amulet ones uh, i saw someone playing <sighs> Let me. What's the learn rampant growth called? Field trip. Yes, field trip. I saw people playing that, uh, and it, it did not impress me because no, that, that sounds really questionable to me. Lesson cards are not good, but I knew it actually top aided one of these events. I don't know if it's one of the ones we're looking at, but I knew it top aided. Yeah. I saw that list as well. There, there's a field trip in top eight of a a modern challenge now <laughs> yeah. with a bunch of. Relatively unplayable lessons in its sideboard, including the seven monomath, the mascot show or mascot, whatever exhibition. it's called. Yeah, exhibition. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't quite sound like what I want to be doing here. I, I I think Karn is pretty good, and I would rather use my sideboard slots on artifacts and cards. Lessons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> Cards want... from any set in modern versus cards from just Strixhaven. Uh, the cards from Strixhaven that very specifically are overcosted because of their mechanic. And yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, if any deck can afford those mana costs, it's Amulet. But and there's not... a difference between affording mana costs and right. being allowed to play higher cost cards, though. Yes, yes. Like you don't want to play undercosted or overcosted cards because you can. Right. You want to play them because they like do something good for you. Yes. I agree completely. I do like the interaction of Elvish Reclaimer with an in-play amulet. Like, that's pretty sick. Like, it's plus mana to activate it. If you, like, sacrifice a Flagstones, your planes comes into play untapped, and then your uh, bounce land that you get comes into play untapped. Like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of cute stuff that you can do there, I think. It's also a really good body. Like, people underrate that card a lot on the mm-hmm. board because it's it's land ability. It's the sexy one and the really good one. Yeah. But it's huge. <laughs> For a one drop? Yeah, I I mean, you remember when I played Delverless Delver in a legacy tournament X1 day one? Like I, I I was just playing Elvish Reclaimer as my Delver of Secrets, and a lot of the games were just like, here's my one mana three four, like nice lightning bolts. Got my land package. <laughs> I mean, it was cute. I bogged some people. 
Did you have depths in that deck? I think you did, right? Yeah, it was uh, just like one copy. Yeah, it was just one depths in one stage, just like an alternate win condition, and that was how I won like six of my matches was just by game one depthsing people. <laughs> yeah, it was a sweet deck that cannot exist anymore. It relied heavily on the existence of Ren and Six for its, you know, grinding with lands. Thank God, Ren Six is gone for once. <laughs> yes. No tears were shed. Ren and Six was also a big motivation for playing Reclaimer over mm-hmm. Delver of Secrets. One two. Also synergizes way better. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a really cute, sweet deck. Uh, the wheels came off day two. I like played kind of bad and played against decks I wasn't prepared against, and so just didn't like make all the right decisions. But if I had had more time to run a bunch of leagues, I, I wonder what could have been with that deck. Ooh, is this is this a bring to light scapeshift thing? The kind of aspiring spike inspired Luris decks. No, so that's a little different. He hasn't been running Scapeshift decks, but he mm-hmm. has been running like Sultai Luris Control, where with you know, like Valky and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that deck is sweet, but like the Aspiring Spike decks are usually like really sweet, and he does well with them because he knows them inside and out, and he knows modern better than like any other human being in the world. It, it's difficult for other people to win with these control decks consistently. I think. I think also a big part of that is because they were typically control decks, which are kind of on a lower peg of easy to pick up and just run with Mm -hmm. than most other kinds of decks. And and he's also constantly changing the the composition of the decks in order to adjust his matchups against the stuff in the format. You know, that's that's a skill set that he has that is difficult to translate when you just pick up a deck list. So. But I, you know, I, I do really appreciate his decks and and enjoy watching him play them. So this this one you've written down, the Scapeshift one, is a more like normal like Teferi three control style Scapeshift deck. Yeah. So these are and here let me let me identify an actual list of this so you can look at it. I, I've seen a lot of decks with Scapeshift and Bring to Light in them. I know, but these are just to like get a fully updated version no not this yorian magus of the moon season what the fuck is this from the 5-0 oh my god court of calling is it kind of like what kane's playing it's like four colors on oh, the fairy dryad Valky. this is four color this is a different thing but this is four color omnath yorian kiki jiki oh good lord <laughs> You can't even copy Omnath with Kiki Jiki. Come on. Well, no, but there's four Restoration Angels to go with all your comes into play creatures. Oh, Just a goodness. completely unplayable in 2021 ma- Modern Magic card. Four copies of it. I love this. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is just a 5-0 deck. I don't think there's a lot to take away from there. Okay, yeah, so like second place in the 5-1 Modern Challenge... Scapeshift, bring to light deck. It's just kind of controlling. Got bolts and paths. Ren and six to fairy. Uh, four dryads and omnath. So you know, if you don't get to scapeshift, your your valakets are still good. And this deck is running four valakets in it. So you know, it's not just a scapeshift deck. Like it's acknowledging that dryad is just a legitimate way to get a ton of value off of play and lands. Yeah, this is, and it still has the the classic bring to light Valky. Yep, 
Uh, is there a way to cast Valky or um, Tybalt in this one? There's a Savai Triome. Yeah, there's a Savai Triome. Okay, perfect. Which you can scapeshift for? You can also get it with a fetch land. Like, oh, yeah, okay, that's true. That because you can get it with a fetch land. It's a Triome. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah, you are never bring to lighting for a five mana spell in this deck, though. There are none. Which I, I, I appreciate the like compactness of this deck. It's very, very conservative in its mana costs, which I think is good. Yeah, I, I've actually seen this deck quite a bit. It's just most of the Omneth midrange deck. Omneth is still a good card. Yeah, uh, especially it feels so insurmountable against Prowess if it lives. Yes. Yeah, because you just play your land, pass, crack your fetch, and you've just gained eight life. I've I've seen Kaya's Guile in some of these, which is another card you can like kind of play, and it gives you extra game against a bunch of random stuff, including Dredge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was one of the cards. You know, as I was like scrolling through, being like, "Wow, every single sideboard has three graveyard hate cards." Like I was counting Kaya's Guiles, but like, yeah, that's that's one of them. A little more common in the Niv-Mizzet decks. But I I think that card does lose a ton of ground when people aren't just, like, randomly playing a bunch of Dredge in Modern, so you can just Mize wins with your Kaya's Giles. Yeah, that's true. I I know people played more Underworld Breach decks in the last couple weeks or so. Mm. There's, like, an uptick of that. Uh, I think I, I think it was led by Canister again, just trying to, of <laughs> trying to feel always. something again. Yeah. But it... I, I think those just mostly didn't pan out. Their problems didn't really get solved. And the addition of a faster Prowler that Prowess deck did not help them. No. <laughs> right. The fact that you might just get matched up against a Prowess deck with 12 one drops in it now. Yeah. Not ideal. And the weird thing about that whole like resurgence of Underworld Breach grinding station decks is that they weren't playing new cards in them. Not not Strixhaven cards specifically, but like they weren't new builds. They were just the old builds. Like a couple months later. Yeah, just the ones that we built when Theros came out. Or, and then again, when the next set after that came out, and mm. then again, when the next set after that came out. It's just like, they haven't changed that much. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still not there. Mox Opal unbanned, though, and I'm like, we're, we're doing it. We're right I think, there. No, no, please. I, you, <laughs> we, I think if Mox Opal gets unbanned, you just have to ban Notre Voyage. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to even play in a format where you just everyone's dying on turn three all the time. Yeah, at least you'd have to ban grinding station, but the, like, there's just no good news for having like like there's no good reason to have underworld breach around in a format where you can make or mana. even honestly print it on cardstock. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just not a compelling addition to a powerful format that has ways to exploit it. Yeah, I'm still I'm still on record. I, I, Underworld Breach is going to get banned in modern at some point. It's yeah, just a eventually. matter of time. I I am also interested in trying to make it work in historic. It's a it's like a lot more challenging, and you have to do things with like runaway Steamkin and Bergy and stuff. But like, there's something. There's some way. Cards are less powerful in that format. It's it's pretty hard. Yeah, it's I really do, hard with less powerful cards. I do appreciate that Underworld Breach was banned in Pioneer before modern. Yeah, because of like the way that format works, it's just kind of neat. <laughs> yeah we can't do we can't really justify doing lotus field stuff in modern no it's just like a little slower and that was enough to push underworld breach 
through the roof and powerful and power. Modern also has force of negation, so there's certain things that need to be worked through. Like the Pioneer Lotus Field deck could never beat a good force of negation deck. That would never ever happen. So Yeah, no. Uh any other modern decks on your mind you want to talk about? Well, we've got a little bit of new nonsense. As I mentioned before, Prismari Command just kind of like enabling terrible decks in various formats and uh, the duct tape of the format. It it is the duct tape of like awful decks that are using like big weird red spells to do stuff. And Modern is not immune from this either. We've got a savor the moment Velamachus Lorehold deck that exists. And, you know, I mean, I don't think this deck is good, but it's cool. Uh, I think that, like, the consistency of the token generation of being able to fetch a Dwarven Mine so that you can transmogrify it, like, that, like, base level consistency of if I draw a transmogrify, I will have a target for it is like really cool. I guess I guess these are all like indomitable creativity decks so you can also get your treasure. But, you know, same thing. Uh you know, there, there's something pretty neat there. These decks have time warp and savor the moment, which is a time warp but you skip your untap step, but that doesn't matter because Velomachus Lorehold has vigilance. There's like a lot of cute things that just like worked out to make this deck function. You can play Fires of Invention, so you which also doesn't care about having an untap step or not. This one that we saw recently, I don't remember which tournament it was from. Uh, this one we saw recently, though, did not have Fires of Invention in it, which I think is likely better, but time will tell, or maybe this deck will just completely disappear one way or the other. I think for the time being, Dwarven Mine decks are mostly like a flash in the pan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think there's something to the Dwarven Mine Transmogrify kind of like low deck slot combo. Mm-hmm. But I think it needs a Transmogrify target that isn't so horrendously terrible when you draw it, basically. Yeah. I, I think your, your Transmogrifies need to do something other than be useless and uh, <laughs> cause your deck to have bad cards in it. Your, Which is like a normal creature problem. that you're Transmogrifying into can't be like an undrawable monster. And Velomox Lorehold also causes you to draw these save the moments at weird times where you just like don't want to cast them because it's not even explore. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's also the very basic uh, thing that we've been seeing with Dwarven Mind, which is just I'm putting this in my Valakut deck and now I have eight Primeval Titans in my deck and four of them cost four mana. I like that a lot more, actually, because it's a good card. Right. And also, getting a bunch of dwarves as your primeval titan is just chef's kiss. Right, it, it, you can you can block for a turn before you like finish valicating them off, and they're mountains, so they count. Like, I you know I don't want to play valic like I don't want to play primeval titan valicut, but you know there's a little bit of extra sauce there that that makes it kind of nice. What you do lose versus the you know the full the like indomitable creativity type deck. You lose to fairy, which means that if they have some spot removal for your dwarf in response to your transmogrify, that counters your transmogrify. But that's like not necessarily as serious for a Valakut deck. Like, yeah, they get your transmogrify, but like you're still you still have all these titans that you're happy to draw. So, and that's where like a double creativity helps too. If you can target two things, spot removal is less good against you. 
Right, right. Like a treasure and a, a dwarf. Yeah, and and the Valakit Primeval Titan deck can't do that. Make treasures. Obviously. Yeah. So what we really want to do is put Prismari Command in the Valakit Primeval Titan decks. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess the Valakit deck could fetch two Dwarven Mines and then Indomitable Creativity targeting both of them. I, I guess the main loss with this deck is you can't play Sakura Tribe Elder. Yes. Which, in a prowess metagame, is actually like kind of a pain in the ass. I guess it mostly just forces them to dart it anyways, though, so it's eh, probably kind of... I, I would rather have... Well, I guess I was going to say I would rather have some four mana Primeval Titans in my deck, but there's no way you can resolve Transmogrify on a Dwarf against Prowess. That's not happening. <laughs> <Yeah>, no. <laughs> if you thought Sakura Tribe Elder could get targeted, <laughs> let me tell you about Dwarf Token being targeted by Transmogrify. Yeah, that's probably not going to work. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Transmogrify decks. I think they're just too flimsy. But yeah. they are kind of sweet. They are sweet. I mean, like, you know, my kind of solution and historic to transmogrify like drawing your Velamaka's lore holds is play Niv-Mizzet instead that's a card you can draw like that's certainly not going to work in modern you can't just play Niv-Mizzets in your deck in modern and be okay with draw like that's 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 not gonna work (laughs) but I you know same inclination there like I do think the transmogrifying stuff is good I do not like drawing uncastable threats so I wonder you know and, and I mean, yeah, in modern, you've only got Prismari command to get rid of your uncastable threats that you draw and get them out of your hand. In historic, you've got Brainstorm and Faithless Looting to get rid of them, too. Yeah, historic is the more powerful format. We all know that. It's, you're certainly powered up in, in some senses. Which which one is Arclight Phoenix playable? <laughs> yeah, only historic. Very true. Yeah, it's not like Arclight Phoenix was ever the best deck of modern when Faithless Looting was legal. <laughs> That's all it took. One ban just and it's gone forever. One ban of the best card in the format, whatever. I mean who's who's counting? Yeah, well, <laughs> Oko's not around either, and that card was very, very good at its time. Yes. I love, by the way, small tangent. I love that Oko was printed in like September. And got banned in October, November, and December. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. God, what a messed up card. And then it just joined its final format not too long ago. Mm -hmm. You can only play it in Vintage now. And Vintage Cube. Yep. Orzov decks won the Modern Challenge. And the PTQ, Hammer Time in the case of the Challenge, which is mostly Modern White. But then Eldrazi in taxes in the case of the PTQ, which is a pretty wild one to see. I know Elliot Darrow would be delighted to see this, so I hope he is listening. I assume he is. I think Eldrazi in taxes is kind of a misnomer, right, for this one. Because you've only got uh, Wasteland Strangler yeah, as not the only Eldrazi. Yeah, not see her anymore. No, it's it's not really playing Eldrazi. There's no like Eldrazi temples. You're you're not making your mana truly terrible. Uh, but I really do like that this deck plays Typhoon's Color and Elite Spellbinder because that gives mm-hmm. a lot of control over your opponent's draws, mm-hmm. which does a lot more for you than stupidly on an Arbiter. Yes, and you can Wasteland Strangler to get rid of their Elite Spellbinder card before, like you know, right as they're getting back to the opportunity to cast it, and then you just like get. You process it. This deck also plays Ephemerate, which is a really good combo with 
uh, so many cards in this deck. Uh, Yorion being like kind of the best one, the dream. But also Elite Spellbinder and Tide Hull both work with Eventbrite because you can keep taxing cards with Spellbinder and Tide Hull is the old wording so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, get a card from the hand permanently. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, this deck has enough going for it. Like, this is... And, and yeah, you're right. N- definitely not Eldrazi in Texas. There's no, there's no Eldrazi Temple. There's no Eldrazi Displacer. Like... You just have Wasteland Strangler because you exile so many of their cards that it's good. It's just really good with Spellbinder and Sculler. Yeah, between this being a an Ether Vial deck that goes up to Yorion and just does cool stuff there, you know, we saw that. We've seen that before. Like, that is very powerful. And it's just got a lot of, like, pretty good stuff going on in it. Yeah, I think this deck is pretty good. Not, yeah. you know, pick it up and play it because... It's one of those decks where only like a select few people really like playing this kind of deck. Mm-hmm. And even fewer among those are really going to take the time to be good with it. And it is a deck that's really difficult. Mostly because your cards kind of suck. Yes. But there is power there. And I don't love like the configuration of this specific deck. Like I get why Wall of Omens and Charming Prince are there. But they seem in such high numbers to me. I think those are very direct acknowledgments of I have a worst matchup let's improve it and probably like kind of go a long way. Well, I don't know that the trying Prince goes a long way in the prowess matchup. It's probably just like actually a fine card in this deck because there's so many under the battlefield abilities and it's so good with Yorion that that's the, you know, you're trying to do that loop. I mean, it's so good. with sky clever. It's like blinking sky clever. Apparition is right. just kind of the best thing. Yeah. Especially with ephemerate. Cause you can also stack that trigger. <laughs> I think you just are really actually legitimately excited to play more bad Flicker Wisps in this deck because the Flicker Wisp ability is so good. Uh, if you if you weren't a Yorion deck, then yeah, I mean, Charming Prince would not be that good. But the fact that you have also that potential end game to hit where you just are continuously blinking your board until they are dead is probably enough that Charming Prince is actually good enough for this deck. Yeah, it's I, I made fun of this deck for a long time, but I, I think with the addition of Skyclave Apparition, especially, it, it's just a respectable deck. Yeah. Like all kind of all variations of Flicker Wisp my ap- apparition until you die. <laughs> Skyclave Apparition just goes a long way for a lot of these white creature decks of whether it's a collected company deck or an Ether Vile deck, like it moves them from unplayable to t- tier one, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is doing honestly Skyclave is doing so much good in just disallowing people from playing Luris. Yeah. Right. Like, this would just be... Well, this wouldn't be a Luris deck otherwise. Your, your oh, Flicker no, Wisp no. stuff is too important. But it is good against Luris, for sure. Just, like, in general. And also, Luris sees so much play. I can't imagine if they hadn't eroded the companion stuff. God. Would we even be allowed to play three mana cards if they weren't you know in 80 card decks i man i am really proud of you know i did a little back padding at the beginning of this episode i'm gonna do a little back padding to close it out though uh i i i don't want to take the time to find the tweet but i had a tweet that i made when we got the companions previewed that was just hey companions are going to define a bunch of formats until they are banned 
and gameplay is going to be super repetitive until that happens and like this is going to go down as like a pretty horrible design choice and like holy crap these cards were so rotten for gameplay they still are like they've been nerfed and like i still like cringe at how much Yorion there is or how much Luris there is in historic and how much Luris there is in modern and it's they're just it's still all over the place it costs twice as much as it did before and it's all over the place yep and what's the more insulting to me other than like the fact that they just completely flew in the face of the all built-in variants in their game is that the cards are so horribly horribly balanced like mm-hmm. you've got Luris and Yorion and then you've got like Omori up down here at the bottom just asking you, begging you. Do you want to play all like creatures? Would you would you like to do that? Please? I'm lonely. <laughs> and and Zerda, a card I actually really, really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is just so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. There's like a lot of text on it for like a lot of really specific text. <laughs> And the first time I read it, I had to like double check. Wait, I can I can play lands, right? And it's like, yeah, of course you can. It's it's an activated ability, but <laughs> you just can't play glacial chasm, is all. Yeah. Or Urborg. <laughs> That's funny. You can play Ayavugan though. I have. Oh yeah! Wow. Yep, you're right. <laughs> No, anyway, companions suck. Yeah, and they still suck. And you can't give us hero power things. Like, magic doesn't function if you, there is some resource that you have access to every game. Like, it just doesn't really work. And even putting, like, a huge prohibitive cost on it, like, clearly hasn't stopped them from being excellent as long as the payoff is there. Especially since Mishra's Bubble is sitting in modern. And even though these prowess decks like never really want to put Luris in their hand, they want the game to be over by then. Mm-hmm. The fact that they can put Luris in their hand like later in the game and then just start drawing cards immediately is yep. just wild. Pretty wild, for sure. Yeah, and like rogues having access to Luris is like a huge part of why the rogues deck is so good. Although I like kind of don't hate that exact implementation of Luris because I like rogues, but. And I think it's, like, healthy to have rogues around and, like, it's exploitable in interesting ways when you're playing against it. So, like, like rogues is a great deck to have in a format and Luris powering it up to the point where it is playable is helpful. But generally, like, there's just too many Lurises around. Yep. And not enough of the small little Luris kitten in Luris's art. <laughs> it is a cute kitten. Like, I, the focus is on the mother Luris, but I want to know what, what little Luris is have to say. <laughs> little Luris, what's your story? Yeah, with his two little red eyes, it's it's forehead eyes hasn't grown in yet. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know how those cat, mirror, cat nightmares are. <laughs> I'm just thinking of those, like, all cats are the same videos that show, like, tigers and lions and stuff doing like the big cat stretch and yes. just like even cat nightmares have got to have like some of that to them yeah they got Probably. the big stretch going yeah oh big stretch oh yeah 
All right, well, that's probably it. I don't really have anything else in particular to talk about. I am this. I'm actually kind of excited. I want to play a couple of leagues with this white black deck. Like, it it looks it looks kind of sick, and like I want to ephemerate my stuff. So I want to live through someone doing that, but I do not want to play those cards. All right, well, we <laughs> can just, probably make that happen then. They don't they don't jive with me. <laughs> also, when I misplay with them, which I inevitably will, I just feel really bad. Well, but it's so much easier if I'm watching someone and just go, oh man, you, you messed that one up. And you like immediately lose when you misplay with this kind of deck. Yeah. You just have committed so many resources to like, oops, I casted the wrong three mana creature. Like, oh, I missed that's... a blink interaction. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been game winning. That was, that was worth like the best card in their hand, probably, if I did, had done that right. So, yep. Yeah, that's that's probably it for talking about modern. We will be paying more attention to the format going forward into the Mana Traders tournament at the end of the month. If you would like to qualify for the Mana Traders tournament, you can sign up for Mana Traders with our code tournament for 25% off of your first three months. So, you know, feel free to do that. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. If you want to see CCR stealing my tweets. I just didn't, hadn't even seen your tweet. But I, it is weird that my formatting was so similar to yours. Maybe I like scrolled past it without processing and then it nested in my unconscious. It was also like the same kind of complaint. Well... I mean, I was complaining about a specific, a different specific thing. I was, I am very bothered by the people who like don't get involved in the discourse and instead just like, I mean, I've complained about this before, but the people who just like hover over the battlefield, like, like judgmental gods, like mm, the mortals are fighting again about magic, the gathering organized play ridiculous let me send them a tablet to remind them how ridiculous they are and how above it i am yes yes exactly and it's just like well you're tweeting about it now even though you're pretending you're not so but it is a flourish of trumpets tweet from above yes kindly fuck off and let us care about this stuff <laughs> well thanks for listening i got plenty more to complain about for next week Lee, I'm going to make you listen to it when I do it. Oh, I, that's fine. I'm, I'm pretty used to it. Great. I'll do my own. All right. I have gotten the COVID vaccine today. It hasn't set in yet. We'll see how long it takes me to get this episode edited if I'm just like dying tomorrow. But if this episode comes out a day late, y'all know that's why. Anyways, have a great week. Goodbye.